Welcome to the Sabbatarianism Podcast. My name is Justin Hoos. I'll be your host. This is going to be episode 46. I have back with me my co-host, Mr. Richard Davis. Hello, Mr. Richard Davis. Hello, Justin. How are you today? I'm doing well. You doing all right? I guess I could do worse. So all right. I'm well, that's good enough, right? Yeah. All right. And are you ready to host Mr. Neil Saul once again? I am. You're we, ready. All right. drug him in here again. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Neil Saul. Good afternoon. All right. So we, we need to clear something up real quick here. Neil Saul never burned down a house. <laughs> that was from <laughs> our last episode. We just want to make that clear. He never burned down a house. And we're just going to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> Nor did he hire someone. <laughs> right. In, in, in no way was he associated with the burning down of a house. So we'll go ahead and pick it up there. Uh, I don't think there's anything else we need to cover other than I was going to ask Richard if you would mind just kind of doing a brief recap of, of what we learned about last time from 2 Corinthians. By the way, we're going to be starting out in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, and then just kind of where this letter's going from here. Do you mind doing a, a little recap and look forward? Well, uh, as far as the whole recap, I don't, I don't know. We covered quite a bit there, especially in chapter three of the advancement of uh, the new covenant from the old, and how there's a new thing that's in the world that's more glorious, even though the other one was glorious, and uh, we have an assurance in the resurrection being reconciled to God. And then in chapter 6, we're going to go through some things here. And like I said, I think to start off the last uh, podcast, in this particular letter, Paul talks a lot about how the Holy Spirit flows between him and those he's speaking to and how the Holy Spirit should flow between brethren. And we'll... We'll notice that, especially here in chapter 6, when he talks about uh, his love for them, really, and his distresses, his stripes, what he suffered. And, and that's love, when you suffer for one another. When you're willing to go through, give up your life for one another, and then how they have uh, given themselves to him as well. This, this is what character is about. This is what bonds marriages together that are good marriages. This is what bonds fellowships together that are good, brotherhoods. Uh, it's not some organization or authoritarian doctrines that people keep you whipped under and, and legislate your life with. It's how God's Spirit flows through you both, just like Paul told his disciples, through you all, and from him, through you, and back to him. He talked about that in John chapters 13 through 16 on the night before he died. It's a different dynamic of spirit. It's not just about obeying a law that never could elevate you to that system as good as it was. So would it be safe to say that you will know them by their fruits? One way that you might be able to identify them is knowing what it feels like to have the spirit flowing between you and, and somebody else the way that Paul describes here, and then when you get around yet another person that doesn't have the spirit flowing through them, oh, you can but tell it, should the difference. Be, it should become obvious at that point, right? Sure. Yeah, it, it should become, and he will admonish people here not to be bonded 
to an yeah. unbeliever to an unbeliever yeah. in, in intimate part of your life because you're in the chaos when that occurs yeah there's nothing worse than a person who really truly loves agape loves another and they're encountered with selfishness on the other side and there it is if if agape is selflessness yeah then when you see selfishness that should be a sign right there although we all struggle with selfishness you know i mean we're, mm-hmm. we're born carnal but that would be yet another sign i guess i should also make mention to our our listeners that for whatever reason the city of texarkana has decided to uh, clean the street just outside of the building today uh, so you probably hear that going behind us do you hear that richard i hear the whine <laughs> <laughs> background noise yeah background noise we're, we're, we got a, an extra feature this week uh anything else you want to add neil no i think we'll probably just get started okay all right richard if you want to go ahead we're going to start second corinthians six six we then as workers together with him christ also plead with you not to receive the grace of god in vain For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And there are points made that that legitimate, the word in the day of salvation can also be translated in a day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day or your day of salvation. We give no offense in anything. What he's saying there is this is time for you to show that the grace that God has given you to put you up right again in your life has not been in vain. And that judgment on you in that regard is now. Now there should be seeing it. That's from right. You. It should be occurring. It should not have been in vain. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. He's talking about how he looks at things and at the relationship as a minister or a servant of God for the people. He makes sure that he gives no offense in anything. Doesn't mean people won't be offended by him, but that's their problem. Because he's not... They're not justified in that belief of having an offense. That's right. It's just, you know, if you stand up, as you can see today in our society, we're being told if we stand up what's right, we're evil people. Yep. You know, we're a... And we've offended others by doing so. by doing what's right. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not giving the offense. We're just standing up for what's right. Well, and I've I've often said if, if if someone hears the truth and it makes them upset, then that's on them. Not the person telling the truth. That's right. Verse 4, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed, 
as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Now that right there would take a long time to really flesh out the spirit of what he's saying in every single one of those, but I think you can sum it up by saying, he said uh, in one place that he died daily or was willing to give up his life daily and all manner of suffering and trial by standing up for others, revealing the truth of God to others, being persecuted, being hurt, and what he had to go through. This is agape love flowing out. And when you stand up for what's right, you're, there's, you're going to receive this in many cases in this world. It's not always going to be a walk in the park. No. You're not promised a, a stress-free life or, a, no. you know. But he's saying that's the way, as he said back there in chapter, verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as servants of God in this manner, not by what degree we have and how many times we've read the Bible and the fact that we're ordained by this, whatever role of self-importance that so many people, ministers in this world, use to proclaim their superiority and he will use this thing we're commended by how we suffer for you mm. and your love then is commended toward him or toward one another by doing the same thing okay verse 11 O corinthians we have spoken openly to you our heart is wide open you are not restricted by us but you're restricted by your own affections it's an important point now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'll just stop right there. When he said, I will dwell in them, that makes them a temple of God. When his Holy Spirit is in you or me, it makes us a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only temple that exists right now. That's it. That's the only holy place. Right. That there is on this earth. There's no place for you to go up to to be before God on any holy day or or Sabbath or anywhere. Right. That's part of the Sinai covenant that came about because the people rejected him face to face. Now he is in you, and when two or more of you are together together for God's purpose, he's there among you, wherever you are, because you're there, and you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think, too, it's important to point out that uh, Corinth had a lot of idol worshiping. Yes. And many of these people probably were accustomed to that. And, uh, you know, which is why he starts there. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness mm -hmm. and, and, and comparing it to the idols? Because they had worshiped idols. Yes. But let's flesh this out a little bit more. I mean, is, is he tell and bring it to the modern day is he telling us that we shouldn't have any interaction with people not of faith 
Is that what's being said here? No. Okay. You'd have to come out of the world then. He right. said another place. He said no. not in another place, no, right? No, it, that's not what he's telling us. He's saying if you don't be yoked, I think he's talking about in marriage or anything that really has the power to affect your own spiritual life or the intimacy of your own life. I think this is being used uh, to refer to marriage, and I think primarily it does. You know, if you're married, to, if you're trying to live a life as a man or a woman in a way that God tells you you are supposed to, and you're yoked with an individual that just is not going to, you're going to be in chaos. And God has not called you to that. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, he has called you to peace, or 1 Corinthians 7, I'm sorry. He hadn't called you to chaos. And if you're in a situation where you're not equally, you're not yoked equally with a believer, that's one believer to another believer, and one who believes that this is the way we should live, both of them, then if that person has agreed to dwell with you as a proper husband or wife in that relationship, okay, that's fine. But if not, you're not bound to that. But I think what he's saying here maybe is don't let it drag you down. Don't let let these other things, light and darkness or unbelievers, or just don't let that unequally yoke you. Don't let it hold you back. Well, that's that's... I think that's true. That's legitimate as far as how we walk in the world. But when he's saying, he's talking here about making a choice. Whether you have a choice to enter into something where you are dealing with somebody who does is not of the same spirit and it interacts. It's important in your internal life. and your. So that's why I associate this more with marriage, and I think that's legitimate. Well, okay. it, and it, it, it applies to any relationship. Yes. Right. And Even and, business. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at here. Is, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, uh, you know, Israel got in trouble many times for bringing idols into the temple. Yeah. And so that's what he's, you know, using that to a degree as a, an example of don't do that or you're going to be in trouble. Because you are now the temple. Yeah. Right? Yes. Or you're supposed to be act. <laughs> yes. Well, the temple of God, you're not perfect, but right. the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have a focus and it's leading you to that unless you reject it and turn against it. Verse 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And of course, that would very definitely applied to not mingling your worship or your religion with paganism or idolatry. Now, that was the first thing that was given back in Acts 15 when the Council of the Elders got together and they, some of the apostles were there apparently, and they made it, you know, with much dissent. I mean, there was no small dissension among them about this issue, but they had to you know, finally sit back and look about how look at how God was actually doing things and to learn from that. And so often that's what we won't do. We just got it in our mind how we think it is and that's the way it has mm. to be. Yeah. Instead of saying, What is going on here? What are the fruits of this? And the first instruction they gave was to 
avoid the pollution of idolatry. And that's what it really says. You have different translations that look at what the certain instructions they gave when they wrote the letter about avoiding meats offered to idols because that was the big thing drawing them in. Uh, but that was not the initial decision that was made. The initial decision was clearly stated there in Acts 15. Avoid the pollution of idols, any kind. And sexual immorality was the other. Yeah, and things strangled with the blood. You see spiritual purity. You see our inner, inner relationship purity and our health laws. And all those, the precepts there are in the law. And real in Acts fifteen, they're they're just kind of laying a foundation so that you can be be indwelt by the Spirit, and then let the Spirit kind of take over and start showing you the rest and growing you. Yeah, and the, it says in, the rest of Moses is out there in every synagogue on every Sabbath day in every city. Today, you would say there's Bible bookstore up there. If you're really serious about learning how these principles and precepts are put into the, your life, go and get you a Bible. Start reading it. It's their responsibility. Yeah. Now get these policemen off of them, off of them. Yeah, they're God's servants, not yours. You're there to serve them, not to rule over them. And see, that's a problem that religions come into when they fail to view this whole issue through the lens of the clear words of our Savior. You are not to do that. He told his disciples. It is the rulers of the Gentiles who think they're doing good for people by ruling over their lives. No, no. But there, as we've also pointed out before, there are some people that want it that way. They yeah. like having a ruler over them that makes them comfortable. That's why, is it not why Israel asked for a king to be over them? Is because yeah, there are the so mediator. many like that. And yeah. the mediator. And the mediator. And that, I think that's part of what he's saying here. You've got to learn to be holy. And, and accept or, or recognize that it is God that is over you now, and you don't need a human for that anymore. Get your comfort in that same way from God. You know, that's true, because judgment is now upon the house of God, and it's God's judgment. And there's something about human nature I, I've observed that if you think you can put a man between you and God, somehow you can blame what you're doing on mm-hmm. him or that system or I didn't know better or whatever. I'm just doing what he said to do. Yeah. Right. I didn't know any better. And God is holding you responsible for what he opens your mind to. That is why it's so important that if you're truly going to be a believer in Christ, you need to get God's word out and let him Read talk, it. talk to you. Yes. Yeah, all the way through. All right. We want to get going on seven here. Seven. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Because they were being accused of that by other so-called ministers or leaders. We learned that from the first letter. And he's saying, use your heart. Judge for yourself yeah. here. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, 
Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the comforting coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. So he, it flowed from you to him and then from him to me. That's what he's saying here. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I make you sorry with my, made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Talking about the first letter. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. That's what real godly repentance is, to a change. Well, and he's happy about that because yeah. it, it had its effect. That's the, right. the purpose of him writing such a scornful, not scornful, but very direct letter to them, taking them to task on a lot of different things, actually produced the result that he was hoping for, right. repentance. Change within them. For you were made sorrow in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. No, we go through times in all our lives, we're sorry, but we're sorry we're suffering because we did wrong. And what we want is the, the penalty of that taken off of us. Well, good luck sometimes. It doesn't work that way. You just have to go through things. But godly sorrow sorrow that comes from God's spirit and a real humble spirit is teaching you to change so yeah. that, that doesn't happen again. It's not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got Because I'm in a mess <laughs> or my life's in a mess. Yeah. And now when I finally am relieved of this mess, I go back and do the same thing all over again. Yeah. And I've seen that. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all things you prove yourselves to be clear in the matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, but for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections were greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I reckon that I have confidence in you in everything. This is, these past two chapters are just a primer about how God's love flows and how doing what's right and facing trials and correcting each other works out good for our own good. It's 
not just about selfish people. It appears having like having differences. Like he's kind of making a description too of how it should be. Like like mm-hmm. his example here with Titus of how things should be working and how they should feel and what to look for. That's right. That worked good for all of them. Yeah. Chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That means even though they didn't have all that much, they wanted us to take of what they had to give to others who had nothing. And they were glad and happy to do it. That's right. And not only as we had hoped, but we first gave, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of the Lord. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So we should be willing to give to one another in the same way, liberally. You know, I believe it was James that made the statement, if you lay up for yourself while your brother's in need, how's the love of God dwell in you? And well, and it appears in many different ways, like he's saying here, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, um, that it that it has different manifestations. Yes. But this is not him telling them they ought to give him a bunch of yeah. their stuff so he can do anything. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, take care of those that are in need. That's the primary importance when he says that it was even better that first they gave themselves to the lord that's what you got to do first put things in order then you give yourselves to one another verse 8 i speak not by commandment but i'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others for you know that the grace of our lord jesus christ you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness of desire to desire it, so there also may be a completion of of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathers much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now, this is something that communists and some people of today want to take out of the scriptures and use for political purposes, and they misrepresent what he's saying here. 
First of all, he, he says that I don't want you to be burdened so that others don't have to have burden. You give of what you can, what you're can, able. What you're able to give Yeah, you, of your increase. But you don't give of what is absolutely necessary. Just like if you follow, and if you go through this lesson, to go through all these principles, they were applied in the tithing and the uh, monetary system of the Sinai Covenant. You know, the Levites received 10% of the income annually because they were approximately 10% of the population. That would be the average income. And it was because that was payment for their, that was the tithe. And that for was, their work. Yeah, it was payment because they had given up right. their inheritance in order to do that work. But it was adjusted by other things as well because they also had cities to live on and common land as well. So we won't go into that as a whole. But you see those principles in Leviticus there. At the end of Leviticus, it says for you to run. This is before it was given to the Levites when it actually was given to the firstborn within the family. You run your grain, your bushels or ephahs of grain, you take them, run them under the rod along with your animals. That was the amount of counting things off. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The tenth one you There's gave, the, not the first one. Of right, ten. and not the ninth, not the eighth. That's the right, tenth the tenth one. one. That, w- that goes to show if you didn't have enough to even have ten, you were barely going to make it through the year. Yeah. So... You know, you don't give what you don't have. Yeah, that's what he's saying here is is when you have when you have abundance, give. Mm-hmm. Give right. what you can. And when 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 you don't have abundance, when you're in need, someone will give to you. That's that's how this is supposed to work when things are operating with the Holy Spirit as he describes here. And that's with everyone doing their part. Right. It also says in the letter to the Thessalonians, if one does not work, he shall not eat. Yeah. So you don't get to be non-productive and receive the benefits of someone else's labor. Lay up on the couch while somebody's outside working mm, hard. No, that doesn't work. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, communism is not scriptural. It's not in the Bible anywhere. Or socialist, socialist economics is not there. He's just assuming here that everybody's out there doing the best they can. And then if you don't have anything to eat to get you through the year, then someone who has something else is going to help you out. Now, is this uh, related to the uh, donations that was taken to Jerusalem? Or was he just talking about taking care of the people in the church? He was speaking about that in the last letter, right? Yeah, he was speaking about it in the last letter. That's what he refers to. Now, it may have started off about donations to the poor saints in Jerusalem, but it applies yeah. throughout. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The principles are there regardless of the situation. Yeah. Be, you know, this giving started out, even the tithe started out as taking care of the, the sanctified firstborn or the elders taking care of their families. And those principles are throughout Paul's letters. You don't take care of people that won't do anything, but you do take care of your elders, your parents, your those who cannot do for themselves. It was the obligation, and they received a double portion of 
the harvest or of land or of inheritance in order to be able to take care of all the sick and the legitimate needy within all their families. Well, and they also didn't glean the corners and, yeah. you know, didn't go over the field multiple times. They, they left that there for, to help others. You don't hoard up for yourself yeah. while others are in need. And let me tell you, from, I can tell you from personal experience, you cannot give God. You just yeah. can't. You certainly can't. Try giving to someone who's real need and see if it doesn't come back to you in one way or another in great benefit. 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he, he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And I wonder why so many churches and church organizations do not seem to have read that scripture in this passage here. That the church members chose their own representatives, just like they were admonished in the other letter, to go along and make sure that everything that was done with what they gave was given for that purpose, used for that purpose, and was upright and was in order so that those ministers like Paul and Titus and anyone else were without blame before God and men with what they did with it. And well, they, they were also taking responsibility for what they had given, you know, that it, they wanted to see it through and that it, it was going to what they had agreed it was for. That's right. They, t- they took that responsibility upon themselves or uh, follow-up upon themselves for, for their congregational giving. Yeah, but you see that Paul is the one who, who uh, counseled them to do this. You choose yeah. somebody right. and you In send the them along. Letter. Yep. You know, so that what that there's a witness there. That's not followed in most short church organizations no. nowadays. You just send us your money and giving it to us is giving it to God. And that's all you have to worry about. I'm sorry, it's not biblical and it's not right. Verse twenty two. And we have sent with them our brother whom we have often proved diligent in many things but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. And, you know, that's just it's a matter of avoiding any manner of evil doing or any accusation. Being, it shows the degree to which Paul and the congregation there went to make sure that everything was, as he said, without blame in the sight of God and the sight of men. 
proof of your love. That's right. Chapter 9. Now concerning the ministry of the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for us to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you, to the Macedonians. The acacia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not, not of grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. He is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Because we're told by Solomon, the gift of the poor is the gift of the Lord. Oh, and Messiah said the, the same thing. When, yes. you, when you gave me a drink, it was... Mm-hmm. It was actually me. Gave it to one of them. One of the least among you, or or however that's worded. Yeah. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceedingly exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, talking about himself, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He's talking here about those that accuse him. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought and being ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, 
Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Wow. Let such a person consider this, that what we were in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Now, some use that to talk about Paul's authority and try to take that authority on themselves. Because after all, they're the preacher or they're the minister, etc., etc. Well, the apostles had the authority to lay the foundation of the New Testament church. That was their responsibility. Yes. Yeah. But not to be, as Paul said previously. Authoritarian. Yeah. As one who right. bears authority over you, just like the rulers of the Gentiles say. In other words, to bring you up to God, not to stand between you and God. And to show you what is right. And to be bold and strong on proving and showing what is right. In other words, if they were the apostles of Christ and you disagree with them, you're wrong, according to the Bible. That's simply what their authority was. It sounds like he's taking a lot of flack here. Like, yeah, he is. It, he's getting it. They're accusing him of, of being weak. They're accusing him of taking it or doing it for the money. Uh, he's He's really got some problems here in Corinth. And now he begins to talk about some of the things that are being done by these other men, and especially in accusing them. He said, him. He says in verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure or beyond our measure but it says here in the new king james but within the limits of the sphere which god appointed us a sphere which especially includes you now i don't have an, the authorized king james on hand okay but i think the authorized king james translates that better Thirteen. Thirteen. Begin with thirteen and read that on through to but, seventeen. Okay. But we will not boast of things without our me- without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretched not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are Come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Messiah, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
Do you want me to go through For 18? not he who commands himself is a brew, but whom the Lord commands. Now, the way they tend to translate this, because it's preachers, churches that translate these different translations, they twist this to make it look like there's, there is competition between another man's territory. But that's not what Paul is saying. Now, that could be included, but he's saying, I don't look to things beyond what God has given me, but to the, only to what he has given me. And so far, that's to come to you. And no far, further in preaching the gospel. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't know what God has in store for me. And not boasting of things beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors. And that's what he's been talking about here. Your money. But having hope that when your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you, so that we may go then into regions beyond. And not boasting in your things that's to be made ready for our hand. Now that's what he's really saying. He's not talking about competing with another preacher for his territory. He does say that he doesn't go over and lay the foundation where somebody else has laid it because that's just duplication. Right. But here he's talking, he's just simply saying, I don't have authority on what you do, what's yours, but I'm instructing you what the Lord says about giving. And I'm not here with a five-year plan that you're cannon fodder for. Well, and in, in verse 15, and I'm going to read this from the English Standard Version. We do not boast beyond limits in, in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, your area of influence may uh, among you will be greatly enlarged. He, he's... He's expecting them to enlarge their congregation, their their yeah, uh, to help their him. assembly, and 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 he's not taking credit for that. You know, you, you increase your faith, and then you, you increase your your congregation, or however you want to put, put it. It'll start spreading. Yeah, 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 and that's the way it does, and so that that will help him to go. But he's he's not there to take from them is what he's saying. And I don't have some big plan. I'm not boasting but things beyond my measure, what God has put under me, but only of the sphere that he has given to me, which so far, I believe it says, is a, a measure to reach even or only unto you. I'm here to take care of you. And I'll have something out there for you to do. But I do hope that when your faith is increased, you'll assist me, and like Neil said, or what you give me to do to, to go into regions beyond. But that would be willing on their part. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, though he's... Begrudgingly, or yeah. you must give 10%, and we no. want to get a look at your tax return to make sure you gave 10%. That is ungodly as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the tithing statutes in the Old Testament, God didn't instruct anybody to give 10% to one person or to a single institution. It was to given 10% of your income to 10% of the population who had to be give up their inheritance in order to do what your elders and your families wouldn't do in the first place. I think you've spoken on this before, but I, th I think most people out there just assume that 
the tithes all went to one centralized place and then were distributed to the Levites from there. No. But that's incorrect. The only time that was ever done was in the days of Hezekiah, and by then uh, everything had been messed up so that that's just the only way they had to do it. Uh, originally, you took your tithe up at the Feast of the Tabernacles and gave it to the Levites, whose money or whose goods it belonged to, and that was in 48 cities scattered within the whole land. So not everybody went up to Jerusalem and Only, gave their money? No. No, no. Everybody didn't go up to Jerusalem. It was those who males who had something to take up there. Remember, he said, don't go up empty. Yeah. If you weren't taking something up there, you don't go. You keep the feast at home. And you're not allowed to eat of your tithe at home. I mean, you eat of your own goods if you do that. And it's, but they were giving that tithe as payment to the Levites. And the only thing the temple and the priest got was one-tenth of the tithe was sent up to the storeroom, the store chambers. You read in Deuteronomy 16 about all this to the store chambers of the house of God, and that was to be stored up so that those Levites had something to eat of during the year when they went up and did their monthly service. Well, there. but that came from, from the Levites themselves. Yes. That sent it to the temple. They sent 10% of that. Yeah, and, the, and they didn't yeah. uh, take the tenth one. They took the best. Yeah, they had to t take the first and the best. Yeah. Mm. But the people didn't. And that's what the book of Malachi is really all about. Yes. It's, it's a polluting of, of that system The priests right and there. the Levites yeah. have polluted it, yes. and But you think now that if then everything was messed up, that was your taxation, so to speak, because it was a theocracy for those uh, people who served, did the service of God and of the people. That was their role. And originally, the firstborn was supposed to do that, and it was taken from them and given to the Levites in Numbers 3 when the elders were disobedient there at the foot of the mountain. And then the only thing that was given to the priest at the temple, if you're making that a central place, was the daily sacrifice of which they ate. And those who went up with them and took it also ate of it at that time, just like it said with the tithe or the offerings, those who went up and took it also ate of it for the time they were there. It's same tithe, same offering, first fruit offering, everything else. But when they, the two kingdoms split, all the Levites were thrown out of the, the bigger kingdom of Israel. Yeah. And they all were put down. And they were left between Judah's feet. That's right. They were left there, but they also then Judah was burdened with the obligation of giving and taking care of all of them. Mm. And you see why that suffered throughout the centuries and why they had to, many of them had to make the living with their own hand, and that suffered. But by the time, the days of Hezekiah, the whole system had been polluted. I mean, there were no 48 cities of the Levites. They were scattered everywhere within Judah. So they just brought it up that one time to the temple and the king and the, the priest distributed to the Levites wherever they were. But that's not where it, where it began, and that wasn't what the law said. That's what had resulted through centuries of their disobedience. And then, of course, like Neil said there, Book of Malachi is written to condemn them for the way they had polluted it. 
and the people have just stopped giving because of it. We read about they've that. They've been folded into Judah basically already, right? Well, yes, but the people had seen this corruption, and they quit bringing their tithes. Mm. They despised the offerings of the Lord, just like the people had in the days of Eli when they saw the corruption uh, with the offerings there at the temple by Eli's sons. They quit bringing them up. And, of course, you pick that issue up there in Jeremiah at the end of chapter 12, chapters 12 through 13, where Nehemiah came and saw what was going on there, and he corrected all that nonsense that Malachi talks about. And then it says, after the people saw that, then they willingly brought up their tithes and offerings and gave them. But that's not the original system. You have to go back to the original law, the way God laid it out before any of this disobedience and corruption and things changed because the transgression occurred. And it was just simply what Paul is given here in the New Testament about giving to others. You can see if you read it and add it all up in precepts, you'll see that that was those precepts are applied in the tithing and offering system of the Old Testament. Only as a regimented way for everybody to do it by edict or requirement. You don't have to give if you don't have enough to make it on your own. What would be the point? So you take the tenth out of every ten and give it. You don't even have ten bushels for the year. You're in trouble. If you don't have ten animals of your increase, you're in trouble. No reason for you to have to give something. and they have to, Then you have to be on welfare yourself. And that's what he was saying there. But he's saying here that this is something you need to do. You need to learn these lessons. Go back and look at the law and learn these lessons the way they were correctly applied and apply this in your own life. When you see people in need, give to them. Not just a significant, uh, a, a little bit of a, here, here's your few dollars to make my conscience feel good. Help no. them out. Yeah. Yeah. Have them get over it, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yes. You get them on their feet. If they're not in need, you don't need to give them anything. Need and want is two different things. Mm-hmm. Well, and it it doesn't mean somebody just perfectly able to work and laying up on the couch like well, we talked about well, also. Scriptures say they shouldn't eat. Right. Kick them out. Right. So they learn. All right. We're going to go ahead and stop there for the week, and we will pick up next week with 2 Corinthians 11, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.